Well, Larry, today I want to talk about cheaters. I'm really excited to, to get your opinion on it. But but let's not start there. Let, let's kind of whet the appetite. Uh, but I am excited to talk about cheating. I, I started looking up some stuff, and it really was depressing about the, the cheating going on. But let me ask you this first, and then we'll get into the cheating. Mm -hmm. What's harder on an athlete? 162 games in the regular season for baseball, potentially a little bit over 20 more games in the playoffs if you you know kind of become a wild card and go through the World Series. So you're looking at over 180 games for baseball yeah. or 17 in the NFL. And what what is it? Maybe if, you, if you're a wild card, maybe it's four games to get to yeah. the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. So 180-plus games or uh, 21 games, what's harder on the athlete? What, what's your thought? I go back and forth both ways, by the way. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, that, that's a great question because there are so many good athletes out there, just regular athletes out there, that to be a professional athlete, you have to set a standard. You know, you have to set uh, – you know, a, a, a higher bar. And, and I really believe that um, uh, all professional sports, be it baseball, basketball, football, all of them, you know, have their challenges because you have to have the right background, you have to be in the right shape, on and on and on. But I, I think the overall perspective is that whatever it takes, to make that team, you're going to try to do it. And I just because, you know, I, I, mine was football. I loved baseball a lot. But the, the contact, the football contact, I think, makes the difference in all the sports. And, and especially, you know, right now with us understanding the head trauma contacts. Right. So, right. yeah, I, I think that would be the difference. But I don't, I don't put anyone over any, you know, any one of those sports over the other sport because you, you, know, gotta, you have to earn it. One day I'm going to get you to not be politically correct. <laughs> one day I'm going to get you to tell it like it is. Uh, obviously, football, you get, you really are putting your body out there every game. Yeah. Baseball, it's the same, but it's, but it's, I think it's more of a long term degrading of the body yeah you know as the baseball season goes on people are playing injured i think football too but it's it's a bigger injury immediately so you know so the reason i even think about it is baseball they're playing with a nagging injury the whole season that's right you know and so i always wondered what is worse on the body right from the outset you look at it and you say well obviously football but I don't know how many people have gone six, seven months playing 180 baseball games, traveling, you know, and, and the work that's involved there, too. There's a lot of stress on the body in baseball, especially a catcher. A yeah. catcher would argue with you tremendously, I think, because up and down every pitch, you know, they're just the wear and tear on their knees from catching and then having to run out, you know, uh, every uh, – every hit but it's interesting so now i'm going to throw in one that what do you think now because everybody's going to laugh but what about golf pro golf the reason i say that it's basically a year-round sport yeah they're walking up and down like we talked about last week about five miles thursday through sunday and you're traveling 
it's the whole week. Monday, you're there with the sponsors. You're out on the golf course. Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, it starts. That's not easy either. That might be more mental stress than physical. Uh, and you, you you put it very, very well. It, it probably is more mental stress than physical. But it's also, you know, uh, uh, a focus. For, for me, you know, I love golf, so. Right, right. <laughs> I would probably probably have something Talking like, about cheaters go ahead <laughs> just but, kidding but you know with them walking that course and you know having to play those rounds like that it is challenging but imagine their caddies yeah oh i i, I can't i can't <laughs> you know fluff uh you know tiger woods original caddy i guess he's with That's right. now. i don't know how he schleps that bag around and he does it like it's not bothering him yeah, you know, but he's probably our age, Larry, which we can't say because nobody else is old, as old as we are anyway. <laughs> the caddies have it rough. They do. They do. They really do. You know, because they're they're taking that same walk. That's right. You know, taking and their the income walk. is based on the player hitting the golf shot. That's right. That's right. You know? I mean, and and the, the caddy is almost responsible for everything for a golfer. You know, just right. to make sure he's comfortable. If you see him go, if you see his golf partner going into a mood, you know, or or something that might affect the game, um, you know, the, he's just not carrying that bag. He's almost right. like a, a, a doctor or psychologist. He's, a, he's, a, he's, the, he's the sports psychologist yeah. in the round. Yeah. You know, I, I the thing that I, I, I love every time it's raining, at a golf tournament and they're playing you notice how the caddy is always giving the umbrella to the golfer and the caddy right. is standing there soaking wet that's right so the golfer i mean i just love that you know it's like oh man the poor caddies i'll tell you something interesting a hundred years ago when i was uh, uh anchoring television i remember interviewing a few pro golfers and these were some of the fringe guys. They were well-known at the time, but they weren't the superstars. Mm -hmm. And I had asked them about the travel and the stress of the game and everything. And they said, yeah, you know, me and so-and-so and so-and-so. I can't remember who it was I was talking to. But they said, we rent a car together, usually a Volkswagen, enough for the three of us and enough room for all our stuff squeezed in the trunk and in the uh, rest of the room in the back seat there. And we drive to the next tournament and we stay at like a roadway in or something. He goes, but see Jack Nicholas over there? He flies, you know, on a private jet. And one of the hot shots in the town we're playing at is always thrilled to move out of their house for the weekend to have Jack Nicholas stay there. Yeah. And that, you know, that just stuck with me. It's like that should give you incentive to play good golf. That's right. That's you a know, good I mean, but it's just funny how these are competitors, you know, with Jack and the golf tournament and mm. the difference that we don't even realize. Now, today it's completely different. You know, the fringe golfers are going pretty good style too now. Yeah, that's and true. And they have sponsors to take care of everything for them. But I just, uh, I just found that really interesting and really funny, you know, uh, uh, but it's, it's changed a little bit, you know, over time. You know, I, I was scrolling online and 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 came up with I don't know how I got there, but they showed some of the houses that the professional golfers rent. You know, when they right. go to these tournaments, and yeah. all of them are mansions because they're actually traveling with their families as well. 
Right, and they stay, and those people are, you know, in the golf tournament time, they're willing to rent out their homes, and some of them might even just donate the home. Yeah, you know, you know, to be honored to have Tiger Woods and his family staying in the house. That's right. Or something, but but I don't know. They, you know, they might all be rented out. I don't want to just say they're giving it to them. Certainly, uh, the top golfers would have no problem paying an exorbitant rent for the week. That's but, true. Um, but also, you know, these these golfers have been been in these cities before and you know i i think it's getting probably better than worse and now that the golfers are so famous people are wanting them to come and stay you know well that's what i mean you know that's what i mean i remember ian poulter once said that uh, the golf tournament was going so long he was going to lose his place on the runway meaning the private jet yeah. would have to get out of line that's right you, you know so uh, yeah you know it, it, it's just interesting all right let, let's get into cheating so the big news this week is Fernando Tatis Jr. of San Diego. He's played three seasons, three great seasons. He's, you know, a superstar already at the age of 23. He's been hurt and injured this entire year. They picked up Juan Soto, the team the Padres did. He claims that he sprayed a uh, uh, ringworm cure on his neck that had a banned substance inside of that spray. And then he tested positive. He's never tested positive before. That's right. How do you spray something on your skin that gets absorbed that'll come out in your urine? I'm not sure how that works. So I don't know, you know, you wanna believe all these guys, you know, but what are your thoughts? Uh, is there a little bit more to this story or did he just, spray himself and uh and somehow this came out as a positive test well it, it was an it was an interesting story actually because I, I didn't realize that his father played as well oh yeah 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 his father was a uh, uh, the the senior his father played it played right. a professional sport too and so uh you know for your for your dad to know that you've done this as well, I just thought that was very very interesting. However, um, I, I read about him, uh, and you and I have talked about baseball guys, and it looks like all the guys are over six two. He's six three. The last guy we talked about was six five. The pitcher, yeah, and you know what I mean. And and so I, it, it seems as though to me that there is a, especially from a there is a a body type that is aligning itself with that sport. Yeah, yeah. It's very then, different than when I was a kid, the body it type. It is. It is. You know, because back then when we were playing baseball, you and I, you weren't weightlifting for baseball. That's they right. wanted you to have long, lean muscles. You know, they didn't understand, you know, the, the weightlifting aspect. It was, it was different. We would do push-ups and we would – I remember my high school coach – Scott, go run yourself to death. That's there's it. There's so many, so many wind sprints you want to run. You, you know what I mean? Go run That's yourself it. to death was not my favorite term. You know, but it, but it's different now. These guys look, look at Mike Trout. You know, considered the best baseball player in the big leagues. He looks like a bodybuilder. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So uh, yes, it's very different, and that's that's going across. I think all sports, but it has a big impact on baseball. Mm -hmm. Probably, I think, you know, because you, you hit the nail on the head, Scott. You're right. We didn't have uh, weight training. It was more about running. 
In right. fact, after you finish play, after you finish practicing, the coach will have you run the whole field. You know, out right, there. right, yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. and come back. Yeah. So, yeah, it it uh, and nowadays though, all all professional athletes, I think, are, you know, are focusing on their body, focusing on their sport, focusing on the type of things that gets them better and makes them more so, money. So, do you think do you think Junior cheated? Do you think, uh, or do you believe his story? I believe it's I got true. one other theory for you after you tell me what you think. Well, I, I sort of believe his story, um, you know, with him. And, and what made me believe his story, honestly, was that his father played in that in the sport as well. Yeah. You, yeah. Your, your father's not going to let you do something that he, you know, that it will destroy your career. Now, when I when I read about him, though, he's he makes a lot of money, but he's not going to get any of that money this year. Right. I'm probably pretty sure that it's all guaranteed so i would imagine i don't know but i would imagine he's getting paid because you get paid in baseball if you're hurt you know um for the most part um but let me let me you know i got a buddy of mine i'll give a shout out to pat we were talking about this the other day and he said you know what i think i go what do you think pat he goes i think that he has missed the whole year he's dying to get back into the game they picked up juan soto he thinks there's a chance that they could actually get to the world series and he goes he's never tested positive i think he took it not to make himself bigger faster stronger but to get back into the game faster to help heal quicker Mm -hmm. i thought that was interesting what do you think about that i I think that's a that was a, a very good statement you know because it obviously it showed his interest in the team and getting back to support the team and to help the team. And, and, you know, that it's definitely a team sport. So I, I like that. I like that statement. You know, so when you were playing football, it's common knowledge. Um, you know, the Oakland Raiders, you know, uh, it, it's in so many articles from in the seventies and you played in the seventies steroids were just there in the locker room with the different names and what they did and you were told just to pop whatever you needed yes no that's true <laughs> a fallacy mr politically correct <laughs> just once well, tell us what well, how it is well i can tell you that uh, <laughs> every every nfl team there did the go. right thing they all did <laughs> the right thing and they allowed the player to decide what made him play best, right? And so that stimulated in many regards what what how many pills you took or what you selected to take. Yeah. So so you were popping vitamin C, is what you're telling me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But but you know, it's different now. So let me ask you this. Um does the NFL have a restriction on the Hall of Fame? Guys in the 70s that were on steroids are in the Hall of Fame, aren't they? Well, I mean, in I'm baseball, sure. that's such a big deal. We, we won't put anybody in the Hall of Fame in the steroid era. What yeah. about football? I, I haven't seen anything on that. I haven't seen anything either, Scott. But, that, you know, football operates a little differently because it's so physical. Right. You know what I mean? And, and if you need – I think one of the key elements of football is repair, because if you don't get hurt, then the coaches are going to think that you're not hitting, right? Wow. Because you're supposed to hit 
you got to hit. And if, and if in human bodies, if you continue to hit, you're going to be hurt. So if you're not in that locker room or in that training room for something, they're going to be watching you on that film and you will probably be cut. Wow. That's interesting. That's a very interesting concept. Well, let me ask you this. Not everybody cheats. How do they feel? Let, let, let's keep it the baseball now because I know they make a big thing about the steroids. Not everybody in the dugout in San Diego is popping steroids. What do they think about it? I mean, I mean, you know, if you know, because you hear stories that if you're in the minor leagues batting 220, you ain't going up. But if you pop a few pills and you get up to 250, 260, you're going to be called up to the major leagues. So those guys sitting in the dugouts who don't cheat, what are they thinking? Do they worry about this at all, do you think? Or are they just there to to, to play well and win? Well, I think the overall objective on all professional sport is winning. Right. You know, is to play well and win. Um, I think that the, the requirements are somewhat led by the head coaches. Every head coach knows exactly what every player is doing. And so for me, it's, it's, well, not for me, but at the end of the day, the head coach is responsible, I think, for everything that goes on in that locker room and everything that goes on outside that locker room. And I think that most of the players are attempting to do the things that, you know, keeps them on the team and not lets them get cut. Wow. And, so that's, and, that's an interesting perspective. You know, yeah. so the managers in baseball know what's going on. Yeah. I think they do. You know, you know, I, when I was looking for some of the things in the list of cheaters, it was just staggering. But the one that really bothers me because because he was a kid and I don't think he had control over this. He probably got caught up with this and this great. Mm -hmm. But remember that Danny Almonte, he was a uh, Little League pitcher in the World Little League World Series. It's probably 20 years ago already. Mm -hmm. And he was like the darling. He, he just was blowing everybody away. His team came in third, but I think he probably won every game he pitched. Mm -hmm. It turned out uh, the age limit was 12, and it turned out he was 14. Oh, wow. And it became a big deal. And that he's coaching baseball now on the high school level in New York. Yeah. But he's still living down that cheating incident, they said. And I sit there and I go, you talk about the coaches. That kid didn't do this. He was approached, I'm sure, by the parents, the fathers. Why don't you come pitch on our team? And we'll, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and so the kid was probably, this is a lot of fun. I mean, that's where I go. The game goes too far where it's winning is too important to the parents to yeah. allow that something like that to happen. Yeah. And, and, you know, in our day, the coaches, well, I, it's still the same today though, but coaches are mentors for the players. Right. It's almost like, you know, this is what you want to be. You want to be, you want to be honest. You want to be truthful. You want to, you know. Yeah. And so when coaches do things like that, it, it to me, it, it, it really affects me a lot because right. I was very fortunate to have coaches that acted like fathers. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> they acted like you are part of this family and this is what you do and this is what you don't do. Right. 
you know what I mean? And and it and it not only worked for us on the field, it worked for us off the field as well. Right. And so a lot, a lot of a lot of guys, especially a lot of older guys, if you they'll when you talk about people that they feel that have mentored them or had an effect on them, a lot of them will have their coach in that group because it's not just, you know, always one person, but they'll have coaches in that group. Yeah. Yeah. Because no, coaches, it, it, yeah, it's, it's just very, very interesting. See, because like young people too, I, I, I was thinking about this. If they walk into a store and they give the guy five bucks and he, he gives them change for 10, the kids are going to say you gave me too much money because they would feel guilty and they've been taught to be honest their whole life. Right. Then they'll go to the ballpark and an inside pitch they'll pretend it hit them so they could get first base. <laughs> That's right. That's a good one. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. just interesting to me how we all think and the things that we do and whatnot. So um, are they ever going to fix cheating in pro sports? Can they fix it? Uh, I, I, I think that the – I think that they're going to do their best to make the the public feel that the sport is, you know, safe and honest and not being cheating, you yeah, know, yeah. Not having. Not, uh, so I, that's, that's where I think things, and especially nowadays with the pandemic, you know, people are watching a lot of television and watching a lot of sports and stuff. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, August sixteenth, nineteen seventy seven, Elvis died. So, so uh, our producer director Zeke was probably born, you know, in 2015. <laughs> um, Scott, our other producer, was probably born around the same time. So I'm sure they have no clue who Elvis is. Right, Larry, we were here. Do you remember where you were the day Elvis died? What was going on? Well, I I was out of the country, um, you know, when he passed. And I was living, I was in living in London, London at the time, but I, I was very fortunate, you know, to um, play on a team that he owned. He owned the Memphis South. He was one of the owners of the Memphis Southman Grizzlies. And that's the, that's the team that took Larry Zonka, Jim Kick and Paul Warfield into the world league when they Just left. Just get the right to what Graceland was like. Huh? I'm Just sorry. get to what Graceland was like. <laughs> well, Graceland was pretty nice. And in fact, it's not far from my mom's house now. And we always ride back, but we had a lot of nice parties. I can't tell you exactly the type of parties we had. So you but guys, we, you guys got to go to Graceland. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He invited us over. Uh, he would have parties for, for the team. You know, this is Elvis Presley, Larry Zonka, Jim Kick and Paul Warfield. So Oh, excuse me. But they were some, those were some very, 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 you know, pu public names. Everybody knew oh, them. Yeah. 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 And so, so, so what Elvis, was that like inside of there? Huh? What was it like inside of Graceland? Oh, okay. Uh, beautiful, big, spacious home. Um, and it's still there. You know, in fact, it's a, it's sort of like a museum. Tourist, yeah, a tourist yeah. museum now. All of his, you know, different records and stuff is in there. But it was an absolutely fabulous big house on a lot of land, right in the middle of a Afri Afro African American neighborhood. Yeah. Well, he grew up very close to there. Yeah. Yeah. On the website, Larry Generations Broadcasting, um, we had interviewed a lady a few years ago whose mother knew Elvis fairly well. She worked in a state building. She said in Memphis. 
and this was when Elvis was before he became Elvis. Okay. She goes, uh, he worked in maintenance in the building. So she knew him and would talk to him. And she said when he became a uh, star, he still would talk to them and everything. She said that was just, you know, he was still very nice to all of them when they would see him. And she said that he bought Graceland because he didn't live far from where this woman lived. And she said that when he would come home at night from recording or whatever he was doing, she said the crowds were so big on the street, the people who lived there couldn't get their cars down the street. So we begged them to move. And that's when she goes, he bought Graceland. So true or not, I don't know. But I think it was a great story. That is a yeah. good story. That's a great story. All right, man. Well, I think uh, I think we've run out of time today. Um, it was a good little show. You know, well, and I got you to open up a little bit and not be so politically correct. <laughs> well, it, it's impossible for it not to be a good show because we got Scott Farber doing it. So, what oh, can we say? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right, my friend. I'll, I'll see you next time. All Take right, care. Man. Thank you.